Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, how you doing? I'm good. I'm I actually um I'm kind of riding a bit of a high from seeing a really really great show last night. I went to um the Improv in Irvine to see a taping of Women of a Certain Age. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, I I did a couple of the live shows. Yeah, you shows. did a couple of those shows, right? It's a stand-up show, right? Yeah. So, um I'd never been to the theater, um, to the to the club in Irvine. So I go with uh, two of my friends, Kathy Ladman, who is one yep, of them, and another Kathy. comedian friend. She's been on the show. Yes. And um, we smoke some weed in the parking garage. Nice, nice. That's what parking garages were for. They're not just for parking. <laughs> and we get out and we walk towards um, the club and we see a really long line. And, and so we wait on the line. Yep. And, you know, got people are, that, that, that are working the line are coming over with like, you know, wristbands and they want to see our license and they're, they're, um, and, and they, they seem to want way too much information about us <laughs> okay. for just going to see a comedy taping, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they actually said, they used the term, are you here for the screening? And we're thinking, that's eh, Orange County. They don't really have the term right because it's not really a screening. <laughs> it's, it's a comedy you know? show. So they call it a screening, <laughs> right. right? So, the, the line starts to move and we're, we turn a corner and it, we're, we start to be like ushered like into a regal theater, right? <laughs> and it's at the improv. So I, I, since I'd never been there before, I said to Kathy, I said, is the improv, is the club inside the theater? <laughs> and we're so high, right? So, so you, and, you're walking into a movie theater. So then... It turns out we were on the wrong line. We were on line for a movie screening. I don't even know what the movie was. And then we said, where's the improv? And they pointed that it was across the way. And we were walking around like a bunch of idiots with these wristbands on. So that was the, uh, the that was fun. And you eventually got there, right? We eventually got there. You missed the movie, though. We missed the movie, and uh, but we're just like a bunch of idiots, you know, we're just like lemmings, just like following the crowd, you know. People Think, follow, yes. But but also, I was saying to Kathy, the thing is, is that I haven't been out to a theater in a really long time, and I haven't been out aside from going to a restaurant or maybe a, like a you know going to a, like a clothing store or something like sure, that. Sure, sure. So I'm not used to seeing lines of people, so I just figured it was for us. Like who's going, who's st standing online for a movie, you know? Oh, it was crazy. But the show was amazing. Yeah. How was the show? Who performed? Um, Marsha Warfield. Who oh yeah. Marsha Warfield. Oh my God. I haven't was she seen the one on night court. Yes. Yeah. And she was a, a brilliant comedian, you know, back in the day. And she was so funny. Um, Wendy Liebman. Love Wendy. Carol Montgomery, Carol Montgomery who actually started this whole um, series. Um, who is the other woman? Um, I'm like blanking. The other woman names. should be you. Uh, should be you. I'd, I'd have to take like a year. Really? <laughs> to to like, tune up a set? To tune up and like really get sharp 
Um, and I know Carol would definitely um, have me on the show if yeah. I was prepared to do it. Um, I'm just not prepared to do it. But it was really fun. Ladman should be on the next one for sure. Oh, she'd be great. She'd uh, be great. But cool. it was, re- yeah, really, really funny. So that yeah. was great. You know what I wonder most? What was that movie? Well, I said to Kathy when we were walking out, she's like, do you want, don't, don't you want to know what the movie was? And there's like <laughs> a part of me to stick with the story is like, and we never even found out what the movie was. Wow, We'll never know. We'll, we'll never, never know. know. Uh, well, we got a cool guest today. He uh, was this, uh, one of the stars of the successful long running show, Broad City on Comedy Central, also known for his work on Narcos and his own comedy sketch show called Alternatino. Uh, now he's doing a brand new show on Apple Plus. It's Mr. Corman, one of my favorite new shows out there. And for me, one of the breakout stars of the show is this guy, Arturo Castro. And he joins us now. Arturo, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I didn't have a choice. They forced me. Help, help me. <laughs> Are you, wait a minute. Are you tied up? Oh, no, it's my pleasure to be here with you guys. You sound like a narcos character there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found out my accent was all over the place in that one. Uh, whenever I'm tied down, I just feel like narcos, you see? Um, no, I'm happy to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. Cool. So you were a star in Guatemala before you came to the U.S. You're, you had a talk show, I guess, called Connection. How did right. how'd that come about? Um, I hosted like, okay, so uh, do you know the telethon? There's this massive event at the stadium and we were part of, uh, the warm-up groups, right? Like the national groups would come on stage to sing before the big, big acts came. And I was a member of this, get this, um, uh, Spanish hip hop cover band called the unknowns. And it was me and my two boys and our manager thought that besides our really like, like super street, like, you know, rap with that we should have, uh, that we needed to show a softer side. So she had us do a rendition in Spanish of, Ooh, baby, I love you way. So we'd be like, all like, guess what could pass in me, barrio? And then be like, God damn, I don't want to do this. Ooh, baby, te quiero ti, you know? So we lost all sense of street cred. <laughs> Until uh, the host, the international hosts uh, weren't getting there on time. And so they asked me and my buddy if we wanted to, to host because people were getting rowdy and they're um, getting ready to rebel. And so we went out there and it went really well and they gave us a TV show. So how did you get from Guatemala to the U.S.? By playing. happy answers to stupid questions (laughs) yeah Uh, so uh yeah i went like uh i was doing theater in in guatemala and this acting teacher from new york saw me and she said she thought i had what it takes to compete in the bigger leagues so she encouraged me to audition for acting schools in guatemala in new york and i did and I, i i fell in love with the city man it was just full of people as neurotic as i am you know Guatemala's a little more slow paced it's a little more chill and new york everybody's like everything is gonna die at all times i'm like oh like you know that makes me feel calm you know i had that same experience i went from la to new york and new york is so in your face and i felt like i was under attack at every single now sue grew up in new york so she was used to it right sue absolutely it was like, what's wrong? This is just the way life is. But it, it, it builds in you this incredible drive, doesn't it? Like, I feel like, had I, st- I don't know if how, what I would have done had I started in LA. Don't get me wrong, I, I love LA. I, I live there now. But it, New York was the best place for me when I was young to cut my teeth and to learn my hustle, really. 
Because every if you if you're not working in New York, you feel like an incredible failure because everybody else is hustling so hard. If you're not working in LA, you can just tell them everybody that you have a script that's going to pop off soon. Right, I got a screenplay <laughs> in my trunk. I'm good yeah. to go. There right. is. I don't know. Let's go surfing. Let's talk about it later. You know. <laughs> right. Well, there, there's just a, a, such an energy in New York because you know whenever I go back there, I am so fueled. You know, mm-hmm. it's like uh, it's like a cocaine rush or something. You know, it's right. like I just feel like I could do anything, anything that I want when I'm there. You know, 150 percent. Very you empowering. Are. And another thing is, like, I lived in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, for for most of my years there. And when you go out to the pier and you look at the skyline, it doesn't really look scary. It looks not conquerable, but it looks like something you can understand. And every single, everywhere you look in that island, there's been major world events that have happened. You can see where the World Trade Center was, the United Nations, Wall Street. And I was like, what an amazing thing to do for a young man dreaming about bigger things to come sit here, eat his dollar bagel and dream and disappear. Yeah. So I I wanted to just real quick, I wanted to ask you, you know, growing up in Guatemala, what, who, what did you watch? You know, uh, you, you, I'm sure you watch a lot of, you know, American TV. What, yeah. what, what were your favorite shows? Uh, I mean, there's this thing called TGIF. You remember that? Like the uh, Friday Night. Step by Step mm-hmm. and, uh, and all these major comedies were a big inspiration for me. Seinfeld was huge. I mean, Robin Williams' uh, stand-up specials were really influential. I mean, because I didn't know that you could be funny and also very intelligent, you know? And so I, I was like, okay, I can subscribe to that. I want to, because, because you know, and, and most of the comedians that I've met that are very successful, incredibly, incredibly smart people. And so I, it, it evolved from being like, yuck, 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 you know, sort of thing. I was, um, well, I still do that. Just, you know, <laughs> that's my signature sound. <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. I've never made that fucking sound in my life, but here we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, him and Eddie Izzard, Eddie Izzard had this incredible stand-up special called dress to kill and he goes over just in the entirety of european history and makes it fucking hilarious and i just couldn't couldn't believe it so they're they're huge influences on me uh you did you always want to be an actor did you ever think about doing stand-up yourself no you know stand-up i think is a medium that i really respect and i did it one time out of respect for it and it went well and i never touched it again i just wanted to because it's such a brave medium you know like you can't hide behind your script you can't you know you're up there with a microphone with a bunch of drunk people being like make me laugh you know um i never i i i i i'm interested maybe in exploring it now but you know i feel like it's a thing that you have to start doing when there's when even if you fuck it up like it's it's not online or like you know like you bombing isn't online and now there's just so much more pressure to like even when you're workshopping material for it to kill so yeah, I don't even be my stand-up friends, but it's definitely a, a meeting my respect. Yeah, I did stand-up for a very, very long time. I did it for like probably close to thirty years. Wow! And you know, the, the, I, I got to say, you know, I started watching the um, the sketch show that you did, Alternatino. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! Just <laughs> so brilliantly yeah. funny. Even yeah. I were just talking about a couple of the sketches before we came on. Um, I, I kind of came late to the party to your career and, you know, I saw the billboards for the, for the show. And Welcome. We've been expecting you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad to be invited because 
And I'm like, what is this? What is this show? And I didn't watch it. And then I find out that we're going to be interviewing you. And it's like, what does it take for me to, to watch your show? I mean, there's billboards everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the thing that I love is that, you know, th- this, it, it's, it's like taking something that, taking away the stereotype mm-hmm. of, of being Latino. Right. Um, which I love. And, and I, I was kind of trying to compare it a little bit to stand up because, you know, when I started doing stand up, you know, I was always like known as like, you know, as a woman, you know, you're, you're a comedian or you're like a female comic and people mm. expected certain things from me from being a female comic. And I said, right. no, I'm a comic. I'm a comic yeah. who just happens to be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And just quickly, I was in the bathroom at the improv many years ago and this woman, said to me, Oh, um, you're going on tonight. Oh, you, are you going to rag on men? And I looked there and I said, Oh, because I'm a woman. Yeah. I said, no, I'm going to talk about sports. I'm going to talk about what's going on in the world. I said, right. I'm, I just happen to be a woman. That's all. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about all things about being a woman. It's obvious. I'm a woman. I don't need to talk about that. I just didn't uh, really subscribe to like most of the, uh, like, listen, uh, the things that people associate with stereotypically Latin or people in the States do, I just never sort of related to, like, I'm not that great a dancer. Uh, I don't fight. I can't, you know, I'm not that passionate. I'm, I've said before out loud, like, Ooh, is this ketchup spicy, sir? You know, like, <laughs> this, this is where I, that's, that's where I live. Um, and so I thought that by taking some of these stereotypes and exaggerating them, then it could spark a little bit of a conversation about how ridiculous they are. And how comedy, many, yeah. How, how many characters do you wind up playing on the, uh, on the sketch? 26. How many? 46. That's range, man. That is crazy oh, thanks, range, man. right? I mean, I was just always enjoying, you know, I, I sort of stumbled into comedy. I was uh, doing really gritty, dramatic theater before I booked Broad City. And I fell in love with it, you know. And uh, to me, the, the biggest pleasure is to keep people guessing, right? Like to be able to jump on both sides, like do Narcos and then Broad City simultaneously and like Alternatino and Mr. Corman. Like it just to be able to keep people guessing is just such a pleasure as an actor. What was it like doing Broad City at the same time and Broad <laughs> City, a hilarious show at the, as, at the same time as you're doing Narcos and you're playing in that much dark. Well, actually he's just kind of a, a spoiled rich kid, kind of yeah. obnoxious kid. And, it, it, and Jaime is such a gentle, sweet guy. Yeah, it was so it was really funny because I was literally shooting them simultaneously. So I would like fly back and forth from New York and Columbia to do it. And so I'd be like, there'd be like this massive church torture scene and and I'd have my gun. But like I'd like break my hip and like I say, like say my dialogue in a gentle way, you know, they're like, well, I'm like, shit, I'm sorry. I'm doing Jaime. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm like, it'll get confusing or like I'd butch up Jaime too much. Awesome. It was uh, the, the, there's. I guess as an actor, you're always sort of striving to, to, to keep it interesting. And there is nothing more interesting than doing both. And how different the sets were in a comedy show and, and in a drama. But I'll tell you what, though, man. People think it's nerve-wracking to do drama. And it is. It is. It really is. Uh, big action sequences are, can be nerve-wracking. But if you've, ne- if you've been on a comedy set and a joke doesn't fucking work, man, like... I I would dare you to like have the spiritual strength to deal with that. And if, if a thing is not working, people aren't laughing you know, on a comedy set. It can feel like death. So, yeah. so they're both sort of high stakes in their own way. But it was beautiful. It was a beautiful sort of uh, juxtaposition 
every other week just being like, hello, everybody, I'm going to kill you all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and also the style. I mean, I, I, I would think in, in Broad City, um, you were able to kind of like go off script. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. We would definitely add, I mean, the script was so well written already, but like we, there's definitely improv takes and we would take it everywhere we wanted to go. In Narcos, actually, they improv one line once and it sort of like killed, like not in a, not in a, it didn't make people laugh, but people were like, wow, what a fucked up thing to say. <laughs> and so after that line, my character started growing as the bad guy. So there was some room for it in, in, in Narcos, but it was very, it had to be very like sniping, you know, you have to like pick and choose your moments for it. So we were looking at uh, Alternatino and I, I gotta, I gotta tell you my favorite, my favorite one is where you play Mr. Worldwide Pitbull. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you really transform, the makeup is great. And then oh, the guy says you're Mr. Worldwide douche. And then this, he's haunted by this. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's it is such a funny sketch. I just always, we would just always wonder like, like Pitbull just seems like the most uber confident dude in the world. And we were just wondering what a dark night of a soul looks like for Pitbull, you know, in his mansion with like, you know, just pictures of girls everywhere being like, am I a douche, you know, and like going on that journey with him. I don't think he was the biggest fan of that sketch, but like, you know, I wasn't calling him a douche. I'm just saying like, what would Pitbull do if he were called a douche, you know? Well, I, I, well, I got to tell you, one of my favorite ones was the, uh, the Make a Wish. Oh my God, that was so funny when I read it. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's okay. And I just love how you take these like social situations, and, and, and just the way you turn it around to something that a kid would not want. <laughs> and uh, and Steve, if you haven't seen it, no, the kid does ne- doesn't want to meet Macklemore. <laughs> And it's, and it's his, just a perfect make a wish. Talk, I mean, talk about douche. It was it's like just enough of a douchey name for the kid to not want to meet well, him. You know, I'm sure Magnumor seems like a super sweet guy, but to me, when when I read that, that was um, we hired one of the writers because of that sketch because I was like, what a fucking random thing! To, like that, the kid's only wish before he passes is that he never wants to meet Macklemore. And so the whole town comes together to make sure that he never meets him. And at the end, he takes off his mindful and it's like, he's not here. He's really not here. Everyone's like, he's never coming. And it's like super emotional. <laughs> when I read that, I thought it was the most stupid, but specifically stupid thing. I just like things that they're going to be dumb. I want them to be specific, so specifically dumb that they're smart. Yeah. So, yeah that was one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite sketch? Cool, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, listen, the the translator one is 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 really. I mean, it was the most successful, but mm-hmm. I, it was my my favorite because because of a different reason. Even if it hadn't sort of popped off the way it did, but I got to fly one of my Narcos co-stars from Portugal to shoot that uh, sketch, and um, Dan Servito, who's the, plays the other uh, Matt Servito, sorry who plays the, the other guy who's in The Sopranos. I've loved that guy for a long time and seeing these two massively dramatic actors on that set, like playing just like the most idiotic sort of premise. I mean, no, it's not idiotic. It was a really, really smart premise from Zach Bornstein, our writer, but it, I, it was such a dream come true to be able to have those two guys at the same time playing, playing around with. You know, it's, it's funny. I, you mentioned a couple of things, but what do you think are the greatest misperceptions about Latinos yeah. here in the U.S. 
the biggest one I find that is really sort of does, makes no fucking sense to me is that we're lazy hmm. because I, I don't, I mean, listen, migrant workers, I don't know if like, I mean, that's sort of, I don't know anybody that's willing to work harder or longer than, than them to provide for their family. So like, it's just such a weird, um, that that we're ultra violent. In fact, you know, that's why this, this show, Mr. Corman, uh, I love the character in it so much because he just goes against so many stereotypes of like the jealous, passionate, angry Latino macho man, you know, the guy is a guy, Victor Morales is a dude that is happy with his station in life. He gets along with his ex, with his ex-wife. He's a good dad. He like cares about his kid. He doesn't like, like the kid is pretty difficult in the episode. Um, and he just never loses his patience or his cool. And I, I, I love the, the fact that Victor is just a character that happens to be Latin. It doesn't have to do anything with the story, really. So, Mr. Corman, I actually knew Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, when he was a kid. Uh, when he was doing Third Rock from the Sun, I was doing a show with Tom Snyder, late night talk show. And he used to come in and do the show. Such as, I mean, even as a kid, so smart Incredibly and so kind of soulful. Uh, he actually did uh, on top of that, he did my PB my failed PBS pilot. He was one of the guests that I, that I chose to oh, do that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what, what makes him special? Why does he connect so much? Because he's genuine, man. Like if you like, it's a work of magic. If you've been famous and successful as long as he has, and still, you're still a well-adjusted human being, you know, that's like a, it's a magic trick. But I, from watching him work, it's because he listens to everybody on set. Like, and to the point where if you ask him a question, no matter how fickle the question is, he'll like stop and think about, even if we have to shoot, like if somebody comes like, hey, what do you think of the color blue? And we're like, oh, we got to shoot. And he's like, no, no, no. Well, okay, here's the thing about the color. You know what I'm saying? It makes everybody (laughs) feel like their voice is heard because he's actually listening, which is sort of a weird trait in Hollywood uh, of people not waiting for their turn to speak. I think that's why I, I think that's why people connect to them because they can tell what a genuine human being is. So, do you get to pitch ideas about your character? Yeah, oh, all the great. time, which I was sort of in shock about because you know I understand particularly when you're when you're writing, executive producing, and directing it, like how close you are to it. But like even in rehearsals, he's like, "Does this feel like? Does this beat feel genuine? What do we change it to?" And it's like, and so it gave me a lot of freedom to, you know, as a writer myself, I like if I have I have suggestions. Uh, but you know, to buy your tongue sometimes, but like with Joe, it was just sort of, uh, a very seamless dynamic of both of us just wanting the, the scene to be as best as it could. You know, what I love about Mr. Corman is that it feels so real, like these two, and uh, they're fantasy sequences and stuff like that. But, but, you know, I think Victor and Josh feel so real, like these guys exist in the world, right? Yeah. And and Mr. Cormier is not afraid to let that life linger, right? Yes. Like, and it's just you're you're in it. You're we're used to things just happen. Like you get a glimpse of the character, and boom, next one and introduce the drama. I think in Mr. Corman, particularly in the first episodes, you're living in. We we're allowing you to live and and feel the discomfort and the comfort and the of real life, right? And that's sort of what what makes it so ambitious. Right, 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 and the vulnerability of of men. Yes, that you touched on a very important point. To be able to not say, to say, I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. Like for these characters to be like, I actually don't have it all figured out. The male vulnerability is not really something that we touch on. You know, like we've, we're raised 
watching them go get him and can do and you fucking you're okay and don't you you know men don't cry and to be able to watch these these men be vulnerable is sort of it's so subversive to me like it's something that i don't really usually watch thank you for that point that's a big point and everything tends to be i mean no, no matter what you watch and there's so much good stuff right now and you know streaming and all that stuff uh, but it's it's all very, it gets very very plot driven, and mm. this feels much more like sort of just a slice of these guys' life, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's a, and we we made great efforts to make these characters very three dimensional. So even like for example, Mister Morales, and like in my episode that's just Victor Morales himself uh, dealing with his daughter and such. It is really about a guy trying to connect with his daughter, and that's what the twenty five minutes are all about. But the, the the characters are genuine enough, and that like the dynamic feels real enough that it becomes engaging, and that to me is such brave storytelling, really on on Joe's part. Yeah, you know, I'm so used to, you know, I I love a lot of um, foreign TV shows and and foreign films because I feel like they have so much more depth. And because you're really are. smart. Because <laughs> well, she's, really, she's from New York, <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the story and the characters are so rich. Mm. Uh, I think, for the most part, richer than than your average American show, mm. and that's what I, I. It's just kind of you know doubling on on what Steve said. You know, that's exactly why I love this show so much because there is so much depth. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like the it is this very character driven piece. It feels like a well crafted, very smartly written. In indie movie with a bigger budget and like and 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 these uh, I love the, the the breaks in reality of each episode where and you go into fantasy land for a second because you know magical realism is something I grew up on as well you know Latin America is very well known for it and I think it's because when life gets too real you your imagination sort of flies away f- with you and having a visual representation of that on this show has been really really fun. So, you know, we've, we've talked to a lot of people from different shows um, uh, on the podcast, and I'm, I'm just curious, like, what do you, what do you watch? What are, the, what are the shows that have moved you in the last couple of years? In the past couple, you know what show I find, uh, particularly the first season uh, that I found really interesting or a perspective I hadn't seen before was Dave? You know that show on Hulu? No, I don't know that. About Dave on this, Hulu. This, this uh, white Jewish kid trying to become a rapper in, in the industry. But there were, first of all, because it's well written and he's a good rapper and it's sort of like an in, interesting, because he doesn't uh, shy away from the tokenism that he, you know, sort of has on it. But his, one of the main characters in it has, is bipolar. And I have never seen a representation of bipolarism, having knowing people myself that are bipolar, that was so sort of kind and real and uh, loving as that. And I was, it was it was surprising because you're thinking you're going to watch a show about a dude that has a weird relationship with his penis and sings about it, and then suddenly <laughs> you're you're uh, in this really three dimensional deep show about it. Um, that's been one of my favorites. I loved Queen's Gambit. Yeah, everybody Actually, I know loved Queen's Gambit. I'm actually shooting a movie with her right now. No, get out of here. Oh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh, my Joy. God, wow. that's great. But uh, that show particularly, I love because First of all, I'm a chess nerd. And second of all, like it was just such a full show, such an intricate, beautifully acted piece. You know, 
Oh, and just so beautifully shot too. So such a great and the the costumes, the the, the wardrobe, the you, you know the the relationship with the mom. It's it's wild. You know, I have a unique relation. You say you're a chess nerd. I when I was a little kid, I mean literally a little kid. So I'm like seven or eight years old. My dad teaches us chess, and we have we're in the most wildly competitive family in the world. <laughs> and so my dad, instead of like coaxing us along starts kicking our ass in chess. <laughs> so I measured myself by when the first time I was able to beat him. And once I beat him, I was like, Anya Taylor, joy that once I beat him, I was never going to let that go. Like, right. and I started beating him relentlessly after that. So it right. was like, it was like a coming of age story for me where all of a sudden I exploded as this little chess genius, or not a chess genius, but at least enough to beat my dad. Right, which is uh, yeah, it was it was your moment of, uh, of humanhood finally. You know, it's just a beautiful game. I, I find it such a beautiful. I learned when I was fifteen, and I'm I'm I was pretty good at it. Uh, and, it and I used to play with it against the chess hustlers in Washington Square Park. Did you? You and played I, outside in the where you hit the uh, timer well, and all that I, stuff. I, I, I wasn't the chess hustler myself, but like those guys are always like chess player, chess player. So. If I wanted to make some extra pocket money, I like dress up like an NYU student and like walk by and be like, "Oh, so I would lose the first two games and then triple or nothing the third one." And, <laughs> oh my uh, god! Uh, and I I won a couple of times, and then one time, one guy that did not look like the chess coaches was like, "I know what the fuck you're doing. You need to stop. You're not welcome <laughs> here anymore." And I was like, "I was like, man, I just meet the the chess godfather. I'm like, this guy's in a suit. What the fuck is this?" Oh, New York. Uh, Isn't New York wonderful in that oh, way? I love it. <laughs> You're like a chess scammer. Oh, my uh, God. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes, that, that show connected a lot with me. Handmaid's Tale. Whew, what an amazing show. But very hard. Not hard to watch in a way, but like it's just so well acted. But it's just, you know, you, you, you feel so heavy afterwards. Yeah. What are you, yeah. some of your favorite shows that you guys are watching? Uh, you know, I'm watching, uh, what am I watching? Uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, love Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Yeah. What, what do you make of this backlash against Ted Lasso? All of a sudden, everybody's like, Ted Lasso is too nice. It's lost its edge. And I want to say it never had an edge. Uh, yeah. Ted Lasso what? was not a show about an edge. Yeah. There's like this big Ted Lasso backlash? hate out there. Yeah. Oh, about. I haven't read anything about You that. really haven't. Oh, there's like articles all over the place. They're, how uh, dare these people like, because I, and I'll tell you what makes it such a beautiful show in my, in my view. And it's like, it, everything's so cynical nowadays that a show that isn't is groundbreaking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. It was like, I was like, why is this show so Cause it, the first episode you're like, okay, I get what the, and then suddenly like it's pulling at your heartstrings and you're like in it. And you're like, wow, what is it about the show that's so engaging? And it's about a character that is doing their best with what they can. And like kind of an unbreakable spirit. And in a world of shows of full of, you know, breakable things, like that's what makes it subversive. And I, I can't understand people hating on what it makes it original. They have no heart. That's what I keep saying. I, like do I do it. a radio show every day and I've, I've gotten tweets and stuff. Uh, Ted Lasso. It's not, it's, it's too nice. It, it's lost. It's villain, all this stuff. I'm like, you have no heart, dude. You just have no heart. Yeah, if you don't like man. Ted Lasso, I, I can't, do you I ever get hang. that thing where you've got certain, like I went on a date one time uh, to see the movie Anchorman, which, you know, wound up being my favorite movie. I work in broadcasting, so favorite movie of all time. And in the middle of the date, uh, this guy I'm watching the movie with 
uh, says, you know, this isn't for me. I'm going to walk out and wait in the lobby. And I immediately thought, oh, no. Oh, no. Never going to happen. We have nothing in common. Like someone <laughs> who hasn't watched The Godfather, I just can't be friends with. There are you certain like... There's certain like benchmark shows that I I measure other people by. And Ted Lasso now has become one of those. Like, do you have a heart or are you a cynical jerk? Well, right. Not to be political about this, but I like dated a girl for like, I uh, was seeing her casually for like two, three weeks. And then on the third week, I found out she was a Trump supporter. Yeah. And I like could not, nothing against Trump supporters, but like this actually, yes, I can't stand the guy. But like, I didn't find out. I was like, she's like, yeah, because. She was talking about kids in cages. Like, well, they didn't have to come here. Uh, nobody asked them to come here. And I was like, if you think they're putting children in cages is like a thing that you can hang with, we cannot hang out. If you have different <laughs> political views, if you're conservative, we can chill. We, if you, you know, we, I'm sure we can find middle ground. If you're like telling me that it's the kids' fault and that they deserve to be like, we just, you, you just have to leave my house and please leave the delicious uh, risotto that I made because I'm going to eat it. Later. <laughs> Yeah, that to- that's a total deal breaker. Yeah. yeah, there's like that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry's in love with her, has a thing for this girl. And I think she's an actress and he's in her dressing room. And she's got a picture of George W. Bush, a framed picture of George W. <laughs> Bush. Right. He's <laughs> like, oh, no, there's nothing I'm going out. on here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. But, yeah, I, but, you know, to bring that, I didn't, I really don't understand how people can hate on Ted Lasso. Um, I, it's, it, for me, and particularly when you, the first season that was in the height of the pandemic, not that we're not in it right now. It was such a breath of fresh air and such a like welcome sight. But I also think there's been, you know, over the past, I don't know, maybe probably 10 years when reality TV, you know, went into an area of like everything had to be so mean spirited because I've, I've worked in reality TV for a long time and I would get notes on shows that were not like housewife type of shows. And it's like, it's not, you, they're not mean enough. You have to manipulate the story. And, and, you know, we would be doing sh- shows where if they were real people, these were not actors. Right. And, you know, I, I would get notes and, and I would say to, you know, the network, um, you, you're going to have to cast what you want because, right. These are real people. And if you don't like their relationship, well, this is what you bought. This is right. who these people are. I can't tell them to be different people. And I don't understand the appeal of it. Like, what is the appeal of, like, so my my partner says uh, it makes him feel better about himself. And I'm like, yeah, it's go. <laughs> somebody throws a drink in somebody's face. It's go time. Somebody pulls a weave. Uh, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, no, it's <laughs> it's the real deal now. But I, I don't understand the appeal of watching meanness in reality TV. Also, I don't I don't I have such a like I'm a pretty empathetic person when it comes to like watching stuff like watching snares where people like just being terrible to each other or when somebody's saying something super awkward, I like, so I have such a cringe level. I can't do it. Yeah. Love, yeah. love is blind though. That was a good show. <laughs> when they don't, you don't meet your husband. But it is like crack. Some of some of these shows, they're like, I consider myself to be an intelligent cultured human being and I cannot, like I started that show and I couldn't get enough. I was like, give me more. Like, give me more about these people. I don't know even know what it's going to be about their life. I, can't, I must know. And I'm like, Arturo, calm the fuck down. <laughs> well, well, it's also the ridiculousness of what the shows are. Like you did a sketch on your, on, on your, on your sketch show. That was, um, 
about the fake Netflix shows. Oh, right. right? <laughs> and you couldn't believe how people were actually tuning in. And yeah. they weren't real shows. They just threw them on, yeah. you know, just the world's because- tiniest pies. Yeah. <laughs> With, uh, our, yeah. Our thing is that like Netflix has like, has only like seven shows and the rest is just like catchy titles and like graphics so that you will never click on them. And like, they want to have the most shows. Yeah. In case somebody did click on them, there's like a green screen that you have to make sure shit up. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that was but, a really but, fun one. But some of the names, what was it, like Battery Hoarders? I mean, it was Battery just so hoarders, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, what's going on right now, because I have friends who will tell me, oh, I'm working on this show, and it's like some ridiculous name for a show. It's kind of like the Pimple Popper thing. Right. And I'll say, that's not a real name of a show. Now you're just fucking with me. And they said, no, 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 it's really a show. <laughs> and and yeah. years ago, um, I, I was joking with a friend and he was saying that, you know, one of these days there's going to be a reality show where somebody is, it's going to be like a big brother house and, mm-hmm. um, everybody is going to be in different, um, stages of liver disease and they're going to be vying <laughs> for an actual liver. And the liver is going to be like in the living room in the middle, in the right? and, and, and that's the prize. And each week, People are going to like die off, you know, uh, <laughs> until the yeah, person sure. who survives <laughs> gets sure the liver. I'm, I'm and sure I said, you know, you're making fun, but this is going to be an actual show one day. I'm sure somebody's bought the temp, uh, the temp script. Like somebody's like commissioned the temp script for that. Well, I, I actually did a, did, did a, a kind of a spoof on it with a bunch of my friends and we called it liver die. Liver die. That's funny. Oh, that's, that's good. good. That's, that's good. good. <laughs> I yeah, like what you did there. One of our titles was like Britain's Pointiest Houses. <laughs> it was just like the point, <laughs> the shrimp whisperer, like shit like that, you know? <laughs> so I wrote out this question. I usually don't write out questions, uh, but I, I like asking this one. What have you learned about yourself through this pandemic? I, I, I quarantined by myself, you know, I was dating somebody and, and she lived in Canada. So I was by myself and I just rented a place in LA. So I learned how to cook. I learned how to do it. I, I realized that like, if you take everything away that I identify as like, or, or that, it, that is tied to my identity, like my career, my, you know, my interactions on set, am I still a real human being? Am I still a full human? And what I learned in pandemic was that I am. I am still a human being in spite of what I do. You know, not that I ever felt like I I was superior than being a human being. Because I'm no, it's just that like a big part of my identity is what I do. You know, my interactions come from what I do. And when you take that away, am I still a person that that enjoys their own company? And I am. I, I, I enjoy my own company. I mean, it's weird. <laughs> it's a, it's a weird place to live, like, uh, uh, inside your own head. But, but I, I realized that in the checks and balances of it all, like I've grown into a three dimensional version of a human that I don't mind spending time with. And that was a really important lesson. Yeah. See, I need people. I need people. Yeah. Like I do a radio show for ESPN every day and I've been at home for. Geez, 19 months now and uh, doing this show and not seeing the person or the people that I'm doing the show with. And I'm like, I need that interaction. I need that interaction to feel alive. So it must mean I'm not comfortable with my own company, right? It's not even that, but like, but but like, (laughs) but I had no choice, right? I had no choice, but to like, did you quarantine with your partner? 
Yes, I quarantined with okay, my partner. Okay, so yeah. I had, no, like, I was alone, man. So I really had to come to terms with, like, what being alone meant. That doesn't mean that I didn't miss human interaction, uh, you know, but it was good to know. It was more along the lines of, like, what I do for living. You know, you can get so caught up in the ambition of what you do and what you're doing next and, like, what's that you're going to next. And when that sort of stopped, uh, it was like, okay, well, all these years that you've been on, on the go, did you pick up some life skills along the way or some things that you enjoy about yourself? And I was happy to see that I did. So let me, uh, let me ask you this. How do people see Alternatino now? Is it, is it on demand with comedy? We watch it on YouTube. Yeah, you can watch it better. Like uh, we have a ton of the sketches on YouTube. Uh, the comedy central app. You can watch it. Yeah. I'll just send you guys a copy. Just like call me. We'll put my phone number on this and every, anybody can just call me and I'll just send you a send a link. That's, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Send a, That's perfect. Well, we no. watched on YouTube. It is, it is fantastic. Uh, funny stuff. Watching. Do you feel like Mr. Corman is kind of a big break for you? One of them. I would hope so. Uh, it, it, more than anything, it's just like more, such a prestigious company in person to, to, to work with number one and number two, it's, it's kind of the, the character that's most like me that I've ever played. Like, I'm hardly ever ever allowed to just exist, you know. Yeah. It's always some sort of shtick that goes. Now, for better or worse, like I enjoy big character plays and I enjoy big uh, dramatic moments. But this, this, insofar as like what I can push myself to be as an actor, yeah, it's a huge, huge break for me. Um, well, yeah, I'm very yeah. happy. Well, so uh, Alternatino is on uh, YouTube and Mr. Corman is on Apple Plus. Strongly recommend. Big thumbs up to uh, Mr. Corman. Arturo, thank you so much for doing this, man. talking to you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, really appreciate this, man. I'm really glad they they tied me down to do this. This is really, wound up being really fun. (laughs) It was worth it. Good. Okay, well, that's how we know we get you next time. That's right. Just tie me down. I'll talk talk for hours. We just need rope. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks, man. Bye. Geez, that guy, first of all, really funny, but just like as charming as any guest we've ever had on the show. Oh God. He just, he just like drips with charisma and, and he's just, and, and, and that's how I feel about him when I see him on screen. You yeah. know, he's got that smiling face. He's got those dimples. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he is, he is, he is a charming, charming guy. Yeah. Yeah. And smart. Um, Really smart, really smart. Um, do you understand the Ted Lasso backlash? By the way, you don't even know it exists. I, I mean, I it comes up. You know what happens? So you read Google, right? I read my Google News, and as soon as you click on something, and then you go to the for you part of Google News, they give you more of what you just looked at. Like they'll only give you the stories that you're interested in. So mm-hmm. I, you click on a Ted Lasso backlash story, all of a sudden you're getting negative reviews for Ted Lasso nonstop. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things, are you caught up on Ted Lasso? No, no. you haven't watched Ted Lasso. Have no, you? I have. I have. have I, I just watched the first episode of the second season. Okay. So you, you sort of see the tone of it, right? Yeah. And one of the things that has changed, and I think this is what bothers people, is that there's kind of no villain anymore. Last year, the owner was kind of the villain. She was trying right. to sabotage the team. This year, there's 
there's kind of no villain. They're all just kind of people who love each other. Right. And, and Jamie is all, and Jamie, it doesn't really have a part in the show anymore. Is he not really prevalent? I don't want to say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't okay. want to, I don't want to okay. say anything else because okay. you're only one episode in, but it's, okay. it's, it's a great show. I still love it. And mm-hmm. all of you haters, <laughs> all of you haters. Um, yeah. You, you suck. So do you agree that there's nothing that's not, like balancing the show because if everybody is so nice, I mean, do you agree that everybody is so nice? Everybody is so nice. Yeah, no, it's absolutely a fact. But what's wrong with having a show where everything's so nice, where everybody's nice? Mm. Everything doesn't have to be, you know, one of Andy Cohen's, uh, you know, women well, yelling table, at each other. Show table flipping. <laughs> exactly. Situations. Like we're like, we're ready for something nice. It was perfect for the pandemic. I consider it. Now you didn't watch Shit's Creek. Did you? I did, sure. Oh, did you? Yeah. Because it reminds me of like the new Shit's Creek, the one that you can watch and your mom can watch and, you know, your grandma can watch and everybody can sort of agree on and share about that. You can't do that with other shows. Shit's Creek was a very happy show. This is a very happy show. Shit's Creek sort of helped get me through the pandemic. It was looking forward to because I watched it, you know, episode after episode after episode. Um, I, it sort of helped get me through the pandemic because I looked forward to at the end of the day uh, watching Moira and and that that whole gang on Shit's Creek. Do you think it's better? Actually, this is a good question. Do you think it's better for a show to come out week by week, like Mister Corman, or it, like on Apple Plus, or is it better? for a show to just drop entirely the way Netflix does. Like here's all 10 episodes. If you're watching Netflix, if you're watching Apple plus, it's like, no, we'll give you one Friday. Then we'll give you another one next Friday. Which would you prefer? And which do you think is a better way? Well, selfishly, I like that they all drop at the same time because I love watching more than, than one. Um, So I, I kind of like that. And but again, on the on the on the other side of it, I think it makes you yearn for the show. <laughs> yeah, know? right, right. It, it it keeps you it keeps you. Um, it's weird. I mean, it, it still keeps me interested, even the, though they're all playing. You know, I, I can get to see them all at yeah, once. Yeah. Um, I I have different emotions. I'm pissed off when I can't see the next sure, episode. Sure. You know? Well, and you don't get that momentum build that you have as an individual. But at the same time, for the show's sake, if a, an episode comes out every week, it means everybody's sort of in the same spot. Yes. And then you can, oh, did you watch it Friday? Oh, yeah, I did watch it Friday. And you can talk about it and it becomes yes. kind of a water cooler thing. Well, it, it becomes old school. You know, yeah. it's the way it, it, it used to be. Because... Like I was asking you something, which I really did not want to know the answer to. What was it? Well, about Jamie, you know, is he not? Oh yeah, no, you don't want to know the answer. I, I really do not want to know it. Um, but I, I agree with you that not everybody is on the same page. So, and it's it's like the days of, and maybe these days are gone. I'm not sure. Um, but it's the days of Breaking Bad, where everybody was on the same episode, hanging on every week, and then Monday or Tuesday, you could talk about it with all your friends. Or Game of Thrones was another one where the last season of Game of Thrones, everybody waited till Sunday night, and then everybody talked about it Monday morning, as opposed to Game of Thrones all coming out in one season. Which mm-hmm. I think would have made it let. I think there would have been less buzz for the show that way because you wouldn't know, just like we did with Ted Lasso. Oh, what are you up to? 
Um, right. You've fallen a little bit behind, so I don't want to spoil anything. But uh, like my friends have already watched the, the latest episode, so we can talk about it. So I, I just think it's a different way of viewing. I think it's better for the show if it comes out week by week. It's right. better for me if it drops all at once. Like I love when it drops all at once. Yeah, yeah. Because there are times where a friend of mine will just start talking without knowing. Like they'll they'll ask me, "Do you watch the show?" And I'll say yes. And they said, "Oh God, I can't believe what." And it's like, yeah, but I'm not up to that yet. I do watch the show. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not as far along as you, so stop talking about it. Yes. Don't assume. Like you have to have. You know, you you have to. There's there's a certain politeness you know, that you have to have with, with, um, when you're talking about a series that drops all at once, you have to preface, all right, you watch it. What's the last one you saw? Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was thinking that water cooler idea. Do you remember, remember the movie six? Of course you remember the movie six cents, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. And everybody was supposed to keep the secret. That was their campaign is keep the secret, keep the secret. <laughs> so, Hey, Tucker. Tucker. And Fredo's doing the same thing out here, so don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm like the one guy who they said when as soon as they started campaigning, keep the secret. I started looking for the secret, and so about ten minutes into the Sixth Sense, I'm like, he's dead. He's been dead all along. It's like every M Night Shyamalan show. Um, right. Right. The, right, the right. Village. It's present day. It's present day. I <laughs> right, want to right. stand up and formula. yell. <laughs> it's a formula. Exactly. Right. right. Exactly. All right. So, uh, well, that was fun. I love Arturo. He's a great guy. He's going to He's gonna be big. He's going to be oh. really, really big. Because yes, he is absolutely. funny. He is smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's going to be a great actor. He is a great actor. Um, all right. So, you know who makes the show possible every single day time we do it, Sue? Yes, our good pal Jacob and Ronnie. Jacob and Ronnie. And I was saying the other day. Jacob, first of all, is like a regular dude. Have you met Jacob? Yes, He's I been have. at my parties. You did yes. meet Jacob, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fantastic guy. By the way, brought a bottle of uh, of Dom to my party, so I love him even more for that. Um, but uh, but just a, a regular guy, totally cool guy, beautiful family. He had pictures on Instagram last week. They're out at LAFC. He's an official sponsor of LAFC, official sponsor of the Los Angeles Lakers. And the one thing he always says is, you know, you get into an accident, a car accident, a motorcycle accident, whatever that happens to be, or it's you or it's your wife or it's your kid or whatever it is. Don't talk to the insurance company yourself. They're going to call you on that day and make you a low ball offer. The thing you do is after an accident, you call Jacob right away. And when the insurance company calls you, you say, oh no, talk to my attorney, please. And that's Jacob Amrani, and they know who he is, and they're going to get serious really, really fast. So remember the number, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB, or here we go, the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. Eh, I'll take it. I just think you're never pleased. You're never pleased when it's really good. And then when we're off sync, you think it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, so just, I think you need you need to go to NSYNC school. NSYNC school? NSYNC Anonymous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there you have it. Hey, if you are on this show right now, we would appreciate it on iTunes or on Spotify if you would hit the subscribe button. I can't think of a more important thing that you should do right now at this moment. 
Uh, also, feel free to uh, rate the show and leave us a review. Sue, very much, very fun today. Really had yeah. a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great. And we will see everybody on the next Culture Pop podcast. <laughs>